Welcome back to the bag drop, untold stories in golf. A top of the morning to you, Professor. How are you this lovely day? Good to see you, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, I think this releases Masters Week this episode, but uh, we're sitting here on St. Patty's Day. You know, so today I'm is your day. I'm a proud Irishman. I'm a proud Irishman, and it ain't about the drink, Kevin. It's just about a good bit of crack, a good a good social scene. You know what I mean? Um, do you know how Top of the Morning got started? You always do the factoids, but I, I, I yeah, I'm gonna, I'll say my factoid for now. You tell us. Uh, you're channeling your inner Sandy McDivitts, it seems like. So take us on the journey. <laughs> so the uh, the saying "Top of the Morning," I learned this as a wee young man in uh, Cork, Ireland, back in 2005. But Top of the Morning, uh, it it started from a Gaelic term, which is is Good Morning. But uh, but it's Martin. It's said differently across the country. This is the other thing with Ireland that that is um, pretty wild. Like Ireland's the size of West Virginia, but from the north to the south, to the east to the west, to the center, the like all the different counties, every county has a different dialect. Everyone says something differently. So if if someone greets you in Gaelic up um, uh, north, it's it's what is it? Martin va Martin va. Martin Va, professor. If someone greets you in uh, Northwest Ireland, it's Machin Wai, Machin Wai, professor, Machin Wai. If they greet you in Western Ireland or like Southwest, it's Majin Wa, professor, Majin Wa, professor. And if they uh, greet you in Munster, which is Southern Ireland, it's Majin Va, Majin Va, Majin Va. So that is. Um, uh, uh, I think translated to something in in top, and so top of the morning is just a greeting that nobody really says there, but it's become you know the kind of the characterized Irishman greeting of top of the morning. There you go. That's my factoid. What's your factoid this morning? Oof. So just came back from an advisory board meeting over in Texas, and we we're we we're thinking about learning. That's you know that's my major profession, and uh, brain plasticity is what we were really really talking a lot about. So, you know, they say like youth is wasted on the young. Um, that's definitely the case with brain plasticity. Like the brains, I mean, most of your learning is passive when you're a child. But when you become an adult, we lose much of our plasticity and everything we do has to be intentional. If we're going to learn something, it has to be incredibly intentional just because of the way the, uh, the brain becomes wired. All right, so why is that important? One, as an adult, there's things you can do to make it so you learn faster and learn better. I'll give a the short synopsis of it. One is you have to make errors, right? So you got to put yourself in a situation where you're making a lot of errors because that triggers to the brain, hey, I need to learn something new. So if you're doing something and you're not making errors or if there's no struggle or strain, you're probably not going to learn anything. No rewiring is going to go on. So that's number one. Two, then you got you to break the muscle to build the muscle. Exactly. So you got to break the brain to build the brain. And this works with motor learning too. So this also to muscles and that sort of thing, the same sort of because the brain fi- drives the motor muscle stuff. Um Number two, you got to lean into those errors. You got to really, oh, we're getting dialed in. Um, not yet, not yet. <laughs> you got, you got to frame those errors in a like a call it a positive way or whatever, but lean into them, right? Don't run away from them because if you run away from the errors and like don't try to like work through it, then you just train your brain to run away from errors. But you got to lean into it, embrace it, embrace the struggle, embrace the strain, much like working out, right? Third, the third piece is pretty critical too. 
you got to have drive and motivation. There's got to be a reason you're doing what you're doing. If not, you're just going to be going through the motions, right? So there's got to be some something you're working towards. Even if you got to fake it and make up something, there's got to be something you're working towards. All right, let me spin this in the golf real quick, like how that translates to golf. So you might have heard block and random practice. Those are very archaic. Those are behavioristic, I don't know, 80s, 90s, like... They're good framing for pragmatic reasons, but they don't really explain the phenomenon at all. What it's all about is when you're practicing golf, you got to be engaged in your mind. Whatever you're doing, it could look like block practice. It could look like random practice. You've got to be engaged in your mind. You should be doing that by challenging yourself, doing stuff you can't quite do. Then you should be enjoying that, like make yourself enjoy failing, not executing the shot you're trying to do, right? And then... Why are you out there practicing? You need to have a reason to be actually out there on the range, right? Whatever it is, it could be pursuing your member guests or just the internal pursuit of getting better. So the art of learning idea, um, you got to have those three pieces in place. If you're not doing that, you're probably not going to get anything out of your practice. So there you go. There's your quick pragmatic factoid um, for today's pod. Break it. You got you to have the struggle. The struggle is good and real and uh, leads to progress, right? Yeah. I mean... I love hitting my driver, so I need to not be doing that in the range because that's not embracing any of those things I just talked about. Yeah, I I, went th- I think I'm a I'm a glutton. I think I go the exact opposite. I think if I'm like struggling with my wedges, I'll just keep at them and 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 almost like to to the, the I, I hear what you're saying with how the brain develops, but I need to like take a freaking break. Like I, I I do that too much where it's like. All right, I've been struggling with my wedges for two hours now, and this is kind of old, man. I don't practice for two hours anymore, but I used to like stick with the thing that was my weakness too long, I think, and just get down on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Learning bouts should only be thirty to ninety minutes max. So yeah, don't don't do anything more than that. We'll talk about learning. I think this this episode we're diving into uh, a very you know no one has an opinion on this topic. No. Uh, the MLR, the new the new rule from the USGA and the RNA coming out 20, 2026. Feels like a long way away, but obviously that was all the news. Um, but this is your episode to lead because you're the academic. I don't want to like, like I'll, I'll uh, chime in, but I think you should give us a structure for us having this discussion. Sure. We'll see how that goes. Um, and to be frank, and I'm I do have breaking news. I've <laughs> you you got breaking I, news. You want to save it, save the news, or bring it right now? That's no. I'll I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it. Yeah. Um. I have to be frank. I am simultaneously tired of having this discussion, but I still love having this discussion. Like, like it's one of those like, all right, here we go again. So, here we go again, and I'm sure this will be irrelevant two years from now when things change. But yeah, let's dive into it. I, I'm just going to start you with what was your initial reaction when the news finally came out? We've talked about this ad nauseum for years when the news came out like where did your mind go right away when when this broke um yeah my, my mind immediately went to the guy that gave me my breaking news was not full of shit that he was he was accurate on his timeline which will lead me to my next breaking news <laughs> which this this pod is not about breaking news but it's just <laughs> kind of funny that i have something that might be breaking news um the uh uh my, yeah my first reaction was uh, you know, kind of about time. I, I'm in favor of it, of, of rollback in general. Um, I 
that, that was probably my first thing was like, okay, the, 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 the distance reports have been out since 2011. I've been reading all of them since then. It's like, it's 2023 and that's 2026. Like, Jesus, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. How, how do you act like this hasn't been leading to this direction? It was very clear when, especially their updates the last three years, the updates from USJ and RNA last, like writing was on the wall. So these guys acting surprised seems kind of crazy to me. But um, the other thing, my, my second thought was I kind of think it might be too modest. Like, it, I, I again, I, I fall into the category of uh, protecting our golf courses, sustainability, um, uh, example, you know, leading by example. The best players in the world should do that. The, the USGA should do that. The RNA should do that. Um, our biggest tournament should do that. So I, I, I'm obviously in favor of it, but I, I thought it was maybe a too, too modest is my honest opinion. Um, that, that was my initial reaction. It was about time and, and maybe too modest. Yeah, well, I think we'll dive a bit more into what maybe we would like them to do. But I, I got to admit, yeah, like there was this, my initial reaction. I had a little, uh, there was, a, it was bittersweet. It was like, oh, finally, we're doing something. And at the same time, it's like frustration from, oh, we're finally doing something. Like we saw this coming. I mean, this has been, this isn't a new argument, right? Historically, this has been going on since the early 1900s. This has been foreshadowed several times. And then despite that foreshadowing, you know, we moved to the 60s and then we just forget about it. And from 1960 until now, with a few exceptions of like changing the ball, I believe, was that 70s or something like that? Uh, Whatever that ball change happened. uh, You're talking about the small ball in the UK? Or no? Was there a change in the 70s? Uh, This this identifies how I don't know the full details of the historic evolution of technology, but there was was one change in the 70s or 80s, wasn't there? That was significant. yeah, I think, yeah, something around the wound, right? Yeah. Going for, yeah. But then, like, nothing's done at the governance level forever, right? From then on. No. So, small tweaks here and there, but it just runs rampant forever. So, at the same level, it's like the toothpaste analogy. We're just trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I think that's, we'll get into this more, but I, I agree with you on the we should have done more because, like, this is, like, you just can't put toothpaste back in. So, you might as well just throw it away and start over. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a little bittersweet. But, I know you're very passionate about this for different reasons than me. We, we have a lot of compatibility, but also there's several things you're more passionate about and you've studied a lot more than I have. But like why – this topic seems to be so important to everybody. Why is it specifically important? <laughs> yeah, I mean, every, like everybody. Yeah, it's so like, true, why, yeah. Why is it specifically important to you? What, what makes our, this topic so important? As our producer has said multiple times, like it's it's a rule. It's just a rule change. Why can't people just say like when the tax code changes, does everybody flip out? Yeah, they'd probably do a little bit, but it's a rule, right? This is the governing body. And so Caldwell is always on that, like just which I agree with them completely. It's just a, like, oh yeah. The rule changes. Like, yeah. And we'll, okay. Yeah, I got a This is the game I play, and that's my yeah. governing body. Yeah. Um <clears throat> nobody starts talking about the cost of manufacturers making basketballs when they made, you know, those subtle changes over the years. But uh Anyways, I don't like those analogies in this discussion. First off, I think analogies, you can pick any anecdote, any analogy to make your point. Great. Like, I, I am done listening to those. I'm done. It just seems, it seems ridiculous to compare. Let's just talk about, you know, common sense stuff that, that's right in front of us in our game. Not in football, not in Formula One, in, in this. And I know we're going to call in a baseball player because we want to hear about his experience uh, dealing with technology. So doc, the doc is coming on. Um, this morning, but but for me, Kevin, what what I think is most important, and 
I, I believe Mike Juan did a good job highlighting this in his comments. If anybody watched press conferences over the last few weeks and leading up to, you know, Masters Week here, I think for me, it's course sustainability. And yes, this is the elite game. And it's not the recreational game, but the leader, it's, it's, it's about leadership. Le- leadership is setting the example. Why are our non-competitive courses, the, the ones we don't see on TV, setting the examples? And, I, and you know who they are, right? It's the, the Kaiser Run Resorts. It's Bandon Dunes, Sand Valley. They, they aren't building extravagant tees that can't be you know, managed, that cost $30 million extra dollars. Uh, they're, they're working with the environment, not against it. And, and they're respectful of the land. Mike Wan came out and said, we have set a terrible example in this, in this course sustainability fight at, at a championship level. Obviously, there's the green section of the USGA. They do wonderful work around sustainability, around water use, around chemical use. They're awesome. They really are. People should pay attention to the USGA green section much more than we do. But at the championship level, what have they done? They've gone to every course in the last two decades. This is the USGA, the governing body, and said, build it bigger, build it far, spend more money, $30 million at Marion, $25 million you know, at Aaron Hills to make their updates. Like it doesn't, it's a terrible example. And, and, and then here's where uh, our producer Caldwell has a great point, which is like, okay, that's their doing though. Right, that's their decision. Why don't yeah. we just let everybody shoot the scores? That's the thing. It's it, it's an examination great of point. ego. It's a great point. It's such a great point, and and I think I've been thinking about his point there a lot. A lot, and it's like okay, um, what it, it, it's a parent. I will use an analogy. Your parents can't let you stay up all night playing video games, right? Your parents can't let you eat a bag of Doritos for dinner. Your parents are, and I think the USJ and RNA in, in a way are de facto parents of this, where they're the guardians of this. They're looking out for the health, not today, but 40 years in the future. And and they, and this is where I love what Mike Juan said most, was um, we've done a bad job of setting that example. We just have. And so our pros, whether they like it or not, they do need to set that example. And we do need to close the gap between professional game and, and the elite game. And and this is one, I think, very tiny, very tiny way to do it. I think there's tons more that needs to happen. But um, but yeah, I, I these courses, uh, so I'll, I'll use a random mid-tier country club in Chicago, Illinois, Stonebridge. So Stonebridge. Anyone know Stonebridge out in Aurora? It's um, a really fun Tom Fazio golf course. They spent so much money. They hosted the Illinois am and the, you know, the bombers, the kids, the uh, future elite golfers, elite golfers torched this place, torched mm-hmm. it. And what did they do? They raised their initiations. They raised their dues. They added tees across roads. It's, it's not sustainable. You can't keep doing this. And so why, but th- they did it for the am game. And that's where I think this might be too modest. I think, and we can talk about that a little bit of how it's trickled down into the recreational game or, or that gap. I know we want to talk to Dr. Doris about the, the jump from amateur to elite, but I, that's my biggest, uh, thing in all this is I, I really don't care about the rest. I, I'll get over historical context. I'll get over 
I'll definitely get over the manufacturer costs. No sympathy there. Um, I, I'll get over the the elite golf scoring ramifications. I'll get over, you know, all these course architecture even. I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to uh, bitch and moan that the, oh, the golden age courses don't have their strategic intent. I'll get over that. The thing I will not get over is inflating our cost because of the ball. And it is driven by ego and it's country club presidents that say, I don't want people torching my golf course. I don't want kids carrying over this bunker on 10. Uh, it's the masters saying, I don't want people hitting wedges into 13. It's, it's yes, that is an ego-driven decision. But as the guardians of the game, something had to be done at a higher level. And this is that higher level. Mm-hmm. I think you make a good point there because, you know, I don't have that same passion in terms of course sustainability and, and costs and all that in the sense of like, I haven't thought a lot about it, right? And I know there's a lot of counterpoints of like, we're still building new golf courses isn't like that's just adding cost and all uh, we and I'm, i know we're gonna have an episode on on that whole topic itself but i think like the important point like i appreciate that you bring up that i wouldn't push back on on is like small gestures have meaning right so like like you said they're setting an example so this action in of itself might not have a huge influence on the things you're talking about but in terms of propagating other areas on the whole and across 50 years, that can have huge impact, right? You know, people say, oh, places aren't adding tees. That's BS. Like my club is added. Most of the places we play have added tees in the last 20 years. My club is already talking about they want to add more tees, right? We've pushed back to 7,000 yards. Now we need to push back to 7,200 yards. And like that stuff's happening. And yeah, like the counter's like, oh, it's their prerogative. They can spend the money there. But we shouldn't be championing that. We shouldn't be supporting that's where we're spending the money. We like we have so many areas of golf we can do better in and make the game more soulful and more spirited. And like that's where we should be focusing on. So I completely agree with you. Like setting an example of this is where we should not be spending our resources is like commendable. So thank you to the USGA and RNA for finally doing something. And if it's not our choice, like what we maybe would have wanted them to do or not enough, at least they're setting some example and and they're regulating. That's that's for me why this is important, right? Like regulation is very important for me, like in any sport, like I think you should have a regulatory body that's looking at capturing and and maintaining the soul of that sport and like why that sport came along. To me, a big of that is golf mimics life, not society. Let me be clear, not society, right? In society, we've, in especially American society, we've moved towards a, give me what I want now, quick response, like quick access, access, like consumer-based society, right? I'm not saying golf should mimic that. It should mimic life and the um, just the human experience, right? So the ego idea, right? Making you wrestle with your own ego, make you respond to adversity, make you deal with variance, right? We need more variance in the game. That all the way from dispersion to the different types of courses we play, to the different experiences we have. Um, so for me, that's, that's why this is really, really important, that there's some governance... That's saying, hey, we do care about that stuff. We do care about the intent of the game and the roots of the game. And we have to do some things to preserve that. Like we don't need to be nostalgic and go back to 1930, but we need to always be revisiting every five to 10 years. Like have we lost too much of that or not? Mm-hmm. And then take a risk, make changes. And if it works out great, if not make other changes, it's at the end of the day, it's just a damn sport. That's all it is. Like that's <laughs> not like Mark, Mark is perfect with that, right? Like, why are we getting, like, we shouldn't get upset about this. We, like, the rules change, tee it up, right? Um, yeah. But that does, I, I want to move because I know, I want to bring the doc on, right? I think yeah, I do yeah, want to, I do want to acknowledge 
this does this change like one of the hangups or biggest issues moving forward is there's a big inconvenience to it. Uh, no, I don't want to use big. There's an inconvenience that's being created through this act of bifurcation, right? And you and I both exist in this middle ground. We both play competitive AM events and try. Some years we actually go after high-level AM events. Then we start golf businesses and we don't do that, but you know, we'll get back to that. We exist in that middle ground where we and you are going to be faced with what ball do we play? That's going to be a serious question yep. for us when we go play a member guest versus when we go play in the four ball. Like, that is going to matter. So we are the ones packed. And I want to acknowledge that is an inconvenience. And we need to admit mm-hmm. that. Like, that is something to get to deal with. Um, but fortunately, we have someone that has to deal with this in, in a different sport, but also within golf. So let's bring Doc on. Shall we do that? Yeah, please. I uh, I want to ask him directly because he was the first person on my mind when I yeah, heard about this. He's going to know more about this than any of us in terms of experience. So that's... Uh, Let's see if he's ready. I think he's going to be ready. While, while you're dialing him up, should I give a little background on Doc for those that don't know? Yeah, let's let's give. Yeah, the dudes do you that. You could do it. You could do it better. But my high level is, you know, here's a elite um, baseball player growing up, and he was on the path to the MLB. So he had to think about this, right? And and I'm sure all of his buddies that he played summer league ball had to think about this. He had a, a career-ending injury, mm-hmm. so he didn't actually get to that that um, stage, even though he was top drafted. Um, I yeah, think I have that right. Elite, I mean, Cal State Fullerton elite, right? Like top, top yeah. per baseball program in the nation. Um, true right, elite right. So, athlete. Yeah, we're just bragging about him. And here he is. What's up? Doc. <laughs> What's happening, guys? How are we? Long time listener, first time caller? <laughs> hey, third time caller, if I'm third, not mistaken. Third time caller for sure. What's up, guys? How are we? <laughs> oh, we're solving fantastic, Doc. We're trying to figure problems. Solving all you. the golf world problems, and we need. All right, hit me. We need you. So, you know the news that came out this week. You know, me and you, we've talked about a ton and rambling on. And so Matt and I were just talking about, you know, admitting like there is an inconvenience here that's being created for that middle level golfer. For Matt and I, that play, you know, some elite AM events when we're actually trying to play and practice. Like we're in that gray area of like which ball are we going to play now? And then we go play member guests. When I go up with Sweetens Co, play member guests. Well, do I switch to the other ball, the the non um, illegal ball um, at the at the competitive level? We know you had to deal with this in baseball. Like this has been a thing in baseball forever. So we want like let's not talk about golf first. Talk us through baseball, like both in the general, like what does this do in the sports landscape and how is it thought about and handled? And then maybe you specifically or specific players that you've been involved with that have had to make that transition as they've gone from elite amateur baseball to pro level, like maybe take us through some specific cases too. And what does it mean? How impactful is it? Like paint us a picture of the baseball world. For sure. So as a kid growing up, I remember we got I don't know how we got it, but we got somehow the SEC network in Laguna Beach, California when I was like 12. And it must have been like a bootleg channel. But I watched Florida baseball religiously. And they had Matt Laporta who played first base. And this dude hit balls legitimately 500 feet in college. And it was like football scores. Like, you know, they would win like 23 to 17 on a Sunday and there'd be like 12 home runs. And so as a kid growing up, like I wanted to hit dingers. And (laughs) so I was just fully committed to hitting dingers after watching this. And I remember when I was a freshman in high school, we had the, like, you know, the normal hot bats. Baseball is actually bifurcated many times. And they have gone back from the 90s. They use something called the minus five bat, 
which legitimately people were getting like hurt and they, they came off like the exit velocities were like 120, which I mean, pitchers have no chance. Like, like guys were getting, guys were getting seriously injured. So then they switched to a minus three bat. So kind of a huge change. Like it'd be essentially limiting the driver size would be a good comparison. Like completely changing the equipment. Like yeah, college base, yeah. like college amateur baseball. Yeah. So they're still aluminum, but they went from minus five to minus three. And then when I was a, a sophomore in high school, they adopted something called BB core, BBCOR bats. And the BB core bat was their solution to player safety because it, it just got out of point. Like it got to a point where, you know, the, the, these guys were hitting balls legitimately 500 feet and someone realized, okay, a kid's going to get killed on the mound or at third base or first base. And so my sophomore year of high school, I was a sophomore playing varsity on, I think we were like the top five in the country at that time. And I was a power hitter. And all of a sudden, one day you stop being able to hit home runs. Mm. And the challenge was in getting recruited. So this is kind of an interesting amateur baseball segment. California went to it before all the other states. And so I hit, I think, two home runs, something like that. And some kid in Georgia hit like 67 and was ranked ahead of me. But in all reality, I was using dead equipment and there was no way to compare us one-to-one because scouts would have to say, oh, well, Nico's using a BB core bat and, you know, so-and-so in Georgia is using a, you know, old bat. So how do we compare them? And here's the challenge with, with this. The first couple years of BB core, if you compare the professional game, which is wood bats, to, to the bifurcated game, they were actually worse off. So the BB core bats were deader than wood bats. Wow. And so we weren't allowed to use a wooden bat because we had research and we said, well, wait a minute, this is stupid. Let's just use wooden bats like Major League was using. And yep. they said, no, you have to use a wooden bat or a, a, a BB core bat. So Whoa. as we got through college, you go play college summer baseball. And in summer ball, you use wood and you hit a million home runs and it's normal and it's amazing. Now, here's something that's interesting too. If you look at the Cape Cod League all-time summer records for the for the stats dorks out there. In 2011, they broke the record for home runs. And in 2012, there was basically no home runs hit. Same wood bats, same ballparks, same All-Americans. Why? They tweaked the baseball. And so baseball has been doing this for a really long time. The college baseball is different than the minor league baseball, different than the pro ball. The major league baseball is it, it, it's wound tighter and typically spins and goes further. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's still the way it was, but when I was playing, it was a different ball than we were playing. Mm-hmm. The little league baseball, bigger seams, easier to grip for little kids versus a pro baseball. Mm-hmm. And so coming through that time, I was at such a disadvantage versus the the kids in the south and versus the you know the other guys who didn't necessarily have to use the the bad equipment in getting recruited but once I got to college we were all using the same thing mm-hmm. now how did colleges answer this the smart ones moved the fences in so uh. they essentially just went to a smaller yard so <laughs> so when I was in my my freshman year uh we played the University of San Diego and Chris Bryant was the third baseman 
Yeah. They played in a 310-yard left foot fence, left field fence. My fence at my ballpark was like 340 to left field. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I'm Chris Bryant, but I'm also saying he hit a ton of fly balls that year that went over the fence. <laughs> yeah. And so hit a lot of 315ers, right? Yeah. 30, 30 yards, know, 30 yards is three clubs for me, you know? That's a dude, lot. He hit a whole bunch of freaking fly balls that just happened to, you know, go 312 over the fence. And so it's really changed the landscape of the game. And you know, is it a good thing? I, I think in baseball, player safety is huge. Like I got mm-hmm. hit as a pitcher. I took a comebacker, you know, it was really scary. Every pitcher's afraid of it. So that's kind of my experience. And I hope that adds a little light. Nico, with the with the focus on being a professional and knowing that Woodbat would be in your future, what what was done to prepare for that? Yeah, great question. So I played for a team, shout out to the San Diego Stars. Uh, we were the number one, like nine-year-old team in the country and kind of insane. Every single kid from my like nine-year-old team played division one baseball at the like lowest level. Like Bryce Harper was on our team, just this crazy thing. But our coach at 12 years old switched us to wood bat. So we would use wood bats in practice. We would use it in some tournaments just to get us ready for the, the goal was never college baseball. The goal was professional baseball at 12 years old. That mm-hmm. was that was always in the back of our mind was, okay, you can use a metal bat and be good when you're 12, but what about when you're 18? Because a lot of those kids, that's the other thing too is, a lot of those kids can turn pro when they're 18. Mm-hmm. You, know, you go from playing high school baseball to pro ball in one week. And so in golf, if you think about the same thing, you could have an Akshay situation where, you know, you're, you're playing AJGA events if they're the, you know, the non-bifurcated ball. And then the next week he goes and plays Corn Ferry or for all the amateurs that get, you know, PGA Tour starts or Corn Ferry starts. Like it's an interesting conversation that, that our coach, he just prepared us for it when we were 12, 13, 14 years old. Yeah. Let's take this to golf now. Like, because you're also, you know, pursuing the competitive game, pursuing professional golf. So this is going to impact you. So based on your baseball experiences and, and how it plays out there, just give us your take on this whole situation. Like, what do you think about it? How are you going to approach it in the golf game? Are you excited for it? Reluctant? Mistake? However you want to take it. Like, talk, take us through Doc's mind on this. Yeah. So, so for me, it's an interesting conversation. I was talking to two of our, you know, kind of high level tour pros and we haven't spoken about it once. So it's a really interesting conversation. Like in our circle, it hasn't been mentioned one time. It's literally not even like on the radar. It's like, you know what? I'm sure it's going to come. And when it comes, we'll be ready. Here's who I think is going to be affected the most. Shout out to our boy, Jaime and the guys on the, the Latin tour. I think that the really high-level pros figure top 15, top 20 in the world. They're going to have all the OEM research. They're going to have people like us helping them. They're going to have all the data, and they're going to have essentially unlimited time with R&D balls that they're going to get to test, Mm -hmm. and they're going to get to see the game. In my opinion, 99% of my friends who play professional golf buy their own equipment. They're on some sort of like really low end, maybe they get a couple dozen balls a year, you know, that's the guy who I think it's going to affect the most because by the time the top 20 pros, if they do implement it, they'll have been using that ball and R and D for a year before anybody else gets to see it. Yeah. And so the mid-level pro that's paying his own way, that's grinding, that's, that's, you know, trying to hustle it to get there. 
one of my buddies drives for Uber and he's trying to play pro golf. He doesn't have access to an OEM. He's not getting the R&D ball. He's yeah. going to get it when the rest of us get it at, you know, the, the, the golf store we go to. And I think that's going to be a challenge. Now, pretty much everyone in pro golf has access to a track man. So I think that it's, it's not going to take that long to optimize it. Quite frankly, like it is what it is. Like it, the weird thing for me is I don't know why people who aren't stakeholders in this have a say. Like it, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing that in baseball I didn't get to say no I don't want to use a BB core. Yeah. They gave me a BB core and they said you're going to use a BB core. Like yeah. this is yeah. the, the governing body of the game came to us and said this is what you're doing. And I go on Twitter and I crack up. I was texting Will Knights the other day and we're just dying laughing at these people like Dude, who are these people with these takes? Like, <laughs> it's amazing. Like, oh, you you won a club championship. Like, it's incredible. But like, I don't know how that comes to like, how do you get to have a take on the R&D of the game? You know, like think about Sweetens. We talked about Sweetens. Yeah. I would love to play Sweetens with a reduced fly ball. You know, when I go there, I use a seven iron. I use a five wood. Yeah, you don't like using you know. your driver. Like, yeah, like yeah. I thought about it. You know, you put you talk about me. Put me at a, your average municipal golf course that is sixty eight hundred yards with no trouble, dude. I'm hitting driver. I'm driving half the you know par fours. Like you know what I mean? It's 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 in that ways. It's it, there's a huge benefit to that for like just my own game. Like I probably will enjoy the game more. Yeah. Right. Two hundred mile an hour ball speed on a municipal course doesn't work. Doesn't work at the super high level game. Yeah, I want 200 mile an hour so I can fly that bunker at 320, so I can fly that you know water hazard, whatever it might be. But for my own thing, I, look, I, you guys know this as well as anybody. It, how you get a hate from outside the club if you can't even get in? Like I'm not a part of the USGA. I'm not a part of the RNA. Like I didn't get. I don't make that decision. So what's dictated to me? I'm gonna learn to use the best of my ability. Yeah. When I, that day comes, I think I want to acknowledge. You did bring up a good point on accessibility, right, and access. Like I, I want to acknowledge that is like I think that's a very fair critique of bifurcation and what that will do down the line. Think about kids that what they have access to. But then, like, which I think Matt and I both in New Club, like, we're that's one of our big missions, right? Access, accessibility and, uh, and equity across golf. But my response to that in this conversation is, well, if you actually cared about that, you would have talked about it well before this bifurcation, which is going to impact a very few percentage, yeah. of, a very small percentage of the people that play the For game sure. and are trying to get into it, right? But I do think that is a – I'm glad you brought that up, Nico. That's a very fair – Critique. That's a legitimate critique that that is going to create for our, you know our boys like Jaime out there and all that. Versus, I mean, you're you know you get to interact with John Rahm a little bit, right? Like he's going to have everything at his disposal. So yeah, like bifurcation of talent, like he's going to have much bigger advantage than the other guys that are trying to get to his level. Um, for sure, the 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 pro game is so interesting because the top I always say top ten to fifteen you know, players in the world live such a different life than 200, you mm-hmm. know, o, you know, the OWGR 200 guy. And this affects such a small percentage of the players. And it affects such an even smaller percent of like golfers overall. Yeah. And it's, it's so much noise around this right now. And we're still what, 2026, it's still, you know, three and a half years away. There's a lot of conversations before somebody tees it up in a, you know, an open with this new ball. I I think that's one one thing I said off the hop, Doc, was that it's too modest. 
because it doesn't impact rec- recreational game directly. And you said about the Sweetens example, it's just more fun for you. I think obviously there's there's uh, you know there, there's where you're at. Then there's Kevin and I, and then there's a lot of low handicap golfers that do move the ball pretty far. Like for it, sure, it, it does. You know, I I think about uh, I got kids now, and I want to go play golf with them. And I think about all these times recently where I've been seeing the tee where the tee used to be, and I'm still walking 60 yards back by myself, adding a couple minutes per hole to the round. Right, it's yeah. adding time. It's taken away from my experience. The person that's a 20 handicap I'm playing with is standing, having a joke on the the white tee, and they're having fun. Yeah. And I'm back there all lonesome. And 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 you know. Don't cry for me, Argentina, but sure. I do think there is a more enjoyable version of the game that this is leading to. It's it's such a small, small percentage today, but I hope this is the tip of the iceberg. I hope that people start to get outside themselves and realize that, oh, this is a healthier version of the game. This is a happier version of the game. We don't have to strap it on carts every time. We can actually walk the course from the green to the tee every single hole. And and I think that's where this is leading. If it's not and I'm wrong, then I'm going to be disappointed. But that that's kind of like my hope. I sure hope so. I mean, if you think about it too, I was thinking about it in terms of like challenging and everyone keeps talking about this mythical 8,000 yard course, which like doesn't exist right now. We we have all the data, right? It's 7,400 yards is about the PGA Tour average. But it's interesting when you when you talk to our guys on tour, like what are the courses that they don't necessarily love? It's Harbor Town, places that are kind of, you know, tactical. You got to hit it in spots. Kevin and I always talk about this where when Kevin and I go play, if he's going to pick his place, it's going to be Pasta Tiempo because I have to hit like four irons and two irons and like really uncomfortable tee balls. And where am I taking Kev? We're going to Torrey Pines <laughs> South, 8,000 freaking yards back. And I'm nuking driver into the, you know, the rough. And I, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but the longer these golf courses are getting, the more it gives the bomber advantage because they're just going to continue to, to use that tactic. As you said, the, the 60 yard back tee isn't helping the guy who hits it 280, it's helping the guy who hits it 330. And that's going to continue to be a skill as it should be rewarded. The best drivers in the world hit it the longest 100%. and they hit it the straightest. And that's going to continue to be a skill, in my opinion, regardless of what golf ball is used. It, yeah, Guys, are they're, they're yeah. going to continue to optimize. Yep, Go- Golf requires finesse combined with power. Mm-hmm. And that's never going to change. But we have lost the finesse, right? I mean, sure. I, th- yeah. I think we've lost some of it. And and I, I think this doesn't, well, one thing that this doesn't do, I think is uh, bring the finesse back entirely. Like, yeah, if a guy hits a couple more eight irons and wedges and a couple more six irons and eight irons, maybe he's got to shape the ball perhaps a little bit more, but this ball isn't spinnier. This club yeah, head is yeah, tiny. Interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, that, it's an interesting conversation. I was I was talking to one of one of the guys I played with the other day, and I go, okay, let's just let's just thought experiment and go low T three woods only. Mm-hmm. I can't hit a three wood hotter than 180 miles an hour, and if that's me swinging as hard as I can, swinging like a and dick, right? That's yeah, like yeah, we always say like swinging like an asshole, right? Where <laughs> I just have that mega driver, I'm freaking back here, you know. But I have a 460 cc face that. I can hit it on the toe and still hit that thing. I can hit it heel. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of, you know, I'm echoing a lot of thoughts here, but like, what is it solving is my big question. And, and yeah. in my, my research and my 
dissertation is criteria and reference instruction. You guys have heard this a million times. Start with the end goal in mind. What is the end goal of this? Is it that we don't need to build longer golf courses? Okay, that's a totally fair goal. Is it agricultural, less Mm -hmm. water? Is it lower scoring? We know that's not true. Mm -hmm. We know scoring average isn't really changing. Is it, do we just not want to see guys hit the ball that far? Mm -hmm. And that's okay too. That's there. In my opinion, you need to have the solution and then work backwards. That's just the way my brain thinks. What is the solution that this is solving? What is, like you said, Matt, not spinnier. It's not harder to hit. It's just not going as far. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that in the critique of the rollout from both USGA and and RNA, what you just said, I think that's the only critique I can really hit them with is like, I don't think they stated the end goal. And maybe that was intentional. Maybe they, from, from what I hear and dive into, I do think it's land use and sustainability. I think yeah. this is stemming out of the green section into the, the testing requirements and regulations. But uh, yeah, it sure ain't clear because look at Twitter and people are you know yeah, coming Twitter's, at every angle. Golf Twitter went nuts with this one. And <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I, I come to golf as a relative outsider mm-hmm. where I say to myself, Formula One changes the rules. Baseball changes the rules. Football, the hockey, all these other all these other sports change the rules. Why is golf suddenly saying no? You can't change the rules. I don't understand that. Why the governing body has to ask essentially for permission three years out? Why can't they just uh, yeah. say next year this is what we're doing and this is for the good of the game? I think like. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it goes back to Matt's point on ego. I mean, obviously, OEMs and capitalistic society play a role in that. But I think it goes back to golf has this egotistical aspect to it, right? Like, I think in this case, like, your conversation with Will Knights, right? You just want to, like, tell these people, get over yourself. Like, <laughs> this is not about you. Like, the, the, the small percentage of people this impacts, we're, we're acting like we're so important. Like, us playing in the club championship and then being able yeah. to go play in the USAM and then be able to go play in our member guests with our clients. Like it's so we're so dialed in, in our games that we can't make this transition to ball. It's like, sure. It's like, get over yourself. Like we're going to figure it out. These people, <laughs> these people are the same people showing up to ultimate Frisbee or dodgeball in their <laughs> sleeves and complaining about the court, not being set the exact perfect regulations, like all these hardos. It's like, dude, play by the rules, like whatever they are, you'll be fine changing balls. Like if you're crying yeah. and saying this is dumb and this is impacting me so, bad like you think way too much of yourself and i can't wait till i make the changes because i'm gonna embrace it and i'm gonna love it i got a question for you guys on on the examination of the ego because this that's my favorite part of this plan out is how are we as as people how are we as as golfers going to manage our egos through this this adaptation how do the the other organizations do it and tours and whatnot but here's my question in the same way that the Pro-V comes out, Tiger's chewing up everything, you know, 2000. And, and when did the Pro-V come out? 2000, I think. Yeah, the U.S. Open was one of his earlier tournaments with yeah. Pebble, yeah. So Pebble Beach. So, like, not to downplay his accomplishments Pebble Beach, but he was no. playing with a ball other people weren't playing with. Sure. But, but we start adding tees. We start building, you know, narrowing things in. Everything was Tiger-proofing this, and, and it had a lot to do with the ball. Um, so the ego of country club presidents also saying scores, you know, we can't have uh, some skinny kid shoot 62. That's rebuild a <laughs> golf course, blah, blah, blah. So that that was the ego, right? Driven by score or we can't have these low scores and we can't have. 
is this new ball going to be a, adopted perhaps in the same way of ego? So now could the ego say, could it totally flip and say, okay, the elite game plays this new ball, but we're Shinnecock. Our members should play the elite ball. You know, we're mm, like, are we going to see it? Like, and, and is that maybe <laughs> some psychology of the governing bodies to say, you know what? Let's put it in the best. Everyone thinks they're John Rom. Let's put it in John Rom's hand. And then hopefully everyone wants to play what John Rom plays. Do you, I mean, cause, cause yeah. I, 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 I think I will. I don't know if I will. Cause, cause here's what I thought. Um, and, and, and this was a question that directly links to Nico's baseball experience. When I was in high school and I'm just thinking about now, right? I, I was the number one man in my golf team. Everybody wanted to beat me on my golf team. I, they rarely did. But if, if I'm the only one on my golf team who's preparing for college, let's just say NCAA adopts the, the new slow sure. ball, the tournament yeah. ball. If I'm the only one there, am I now playing with all these guys that want to beat my ass? And I'm the, number, I'm, I'm the, the quote unquote elite golfer of the group. Am, am I going to be okay preparing myself for college golf, playing a slower ball, being outdriven by some guys on the team and, and still trying to beat them? And they're going like, oh, I, I, I got Matt today. I beat Matt today. Is my ego as a 17-year-old, because I had an ego as a 17-year-old, like, sure. will that prohibit me from saying like, screw that. Give me my Pro V1. Give me that ball. Give me the juice mm. ball. I got to bomb it past these guys. That's what I'm really curious to see. And I was just curious what you guys thought that would be like in, in when, the, when it happens. Go ahead, Kev. Uh, I'm going to speak at it from like, if you know, Nico and I are both very passionate about coaching and recruiting. I'm going to speak at it from the recruiting perspective. If I'm a coach looking at my players, right, I'm obviously going to be adjusting for the ball they're playing. And that's my job as a coach, like if I'm recruiting players. And co coaches are going to do that earnestly. So I think at the player level, they don't have to worry about like, oh, this kid's beating me with that better ball, so he's going to get the UGA offer and not me. The coaches are going to adjust for that. Also, if I'm a coach, the player that takes the cheap way out, I'll call it the cheap way out, that takes the, the, the non-elite ball that they're not playing in college so they can score better, that's going to tell me something about them as a, as a dog or not. Right to use Nico. Nico loves to you know. Are you a dog or not? Um, Got that dog in it. Yeah, like that's going to tell me if they're playing that elite ball and they're saying my job is to not just win at this high school level, but is to get to the college level and go beyond that. If I'm a recruiting coach and I'm looking at that and that kid's spending extra time to play both balls, I, I'm going after that kid. I want that kid because guess what? Guess who's going to put an extra time when college gets hard? When he's trying to balance the books and school and like partying and all that. Who's the person that's going to fight through that? That's that's that person. The person taking the the pro v one just so they can shoot lower scores. Nope. Yeah. To to echo Kev, like I I think about it only from my own lens. And when I was twelve years old, I knew that I was using a wood bat in a metal bat tournament, and I didn't care because I I had the end goal in mind of if your goal is to play college golf, why wouldn't you be doing that? Why wouldn't you be preparing for where you want to go? Mm. And there's something to learn. There's something to be said for learning to win at the level that you're at. Yes, I wholeheartedly understand that. Do I think that you should be using it, you know, if no one else is using it? No, that doesn't make you any better coming in 37th place if it's that big of a difference. But if the elite competition's all using that ball and the number three guy on your high school team isn't, that like, okay, you know. Like you said, the, the ego of it is is an interesting conversation. And I think that this is going to start at the top. I think that if the PGA Tour 
and their members don't adopt this. I think it will be very difficult for the governing bodies in their two majors that they essentially have to say, well, if you want to come play the PGA, you know, you have to, or, or I should say the US Open and the, the Open, then you have to use our new golf ball. I, I, you know, I think there's a lot, I think that it, looking at this from an outsider's perspective will be fascinating over the next two and a half years to see what voices emerge, what takes continue to just, uh, be incredible on some of these on Twitter that, I mean, some of these are just unbelievable. And, you know, what, what the, the ultimate end goal is, is it bifurcation or is it just, Hey, you know what? We all sit there and say, Hey, look, a 360 yard drive is probably a little bit too far for the average golf course. Not everywhere can be Augusta and build new tees and continue to have new land. We have my favorite golf course in the world is Coronado Municipal. It's 6,600 yards. There's no more room to go. You can't make that place any longer. How does that place stay relevant in the golf, which is a beautiful and amazing, fun place to play. Mm -hmm. If you put me on that golf course, I'm hitting driver wedge into basically every single hole. Par fives, I might hit some, you know, seven irons into. And I think as we look forward, and, and I think it's going to be curious to see, is it bifurcation or is it just we all take a step back and go, hey, this has gotten a little out of hand mm -hmm. and we need to do something. And I'm always, I'm always of the belief, start with the minimum viable you can do. Do something just to get the ball rolling. You don't need to change everything. You know, we don't need to use eight clubs tomorrow, but what's going to be done tomorrow to, to, to make the game better? So speaking of tomorrow, we're getting close to the hour. I, uh, professor, can I hit him with, with my news? Yeah. Tell him what, where does this go next, Matt? Where does this go next? Where does it go next? Um, not my breaking news, or is that my breaking news? That's your breaking news. <laughs> you, you pushed me off. I wanted to announce it at the top of the Break, show, and Kevin go. made me wait no. for the end. Uh, so, like, so a friend of a friend who I was having beers with in January told me how this was going to play out. He is in the know. I'm going to keep his name anonymous uh, to protect my sources for future Love it. breaking Big news. J journalism. Big J. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he, he hit the date on the head of when the USGA and RNA would announce, you know, this, this new ball uh, requirement, testing requirement, MLR. And uh, his next update was, okay, so this, this episode's releasing during Masters Week. So I'm pretty sure uh, Mr. Ridley takes the stage tomorrow on Tuesday of the Masters, right? Doesn't he do his press conference on Tuesdays? Yeah, I think Tuesday is so, a big day. I, we'll see what happens in the next three weeks, but <laughs> I I was uh, was told that Fred Ridley will be announcing a tournament ball for the Masters based off of MLR. So if if that is correct, which I, I now trust this this gentleman, and um, if that's correct, I wanted to get your guys' take on you know what what you think that implication will be for. Uh, what the golf we watch on TV every year for Augusta, plus future years and, and ramifications across golf. Go for it, Doc. That's a, that's a bomb to drop, right? And so you got to sit there and you got to say, is everyone going to play the same ball? Is there different models of the ball? I immediately go to the, the the gray areas of how much time do we have to prepare for that ball? How many practice rounds do we get with that new ball? Can we you know, all those rules that that. I look at as a way to optimize, right? That's how I always look at this. And I say to myself, okay, is it next year? Is it the year after? Is it 2026? Is it just a master's ball? It's going to be the same as the US Open ball. Do we need to prepare for that differently? And our guys that you have to look at that are going to play the master's, 
that suddenly becomes something you have to game plan for. No longer do you have to hit a draw on 10. You got to use a ball that, you know, now is only going to be used there. You know, and then how much time do we allot to that in practice? Can we get enough of those balls so that when our guys are hitting them on the range, we can have hand-picked balls that we're using? How much time do we devote to it? You know, somebody's going to use that ball all year and be better off, you know, preparing for it. But that's an interesting, I mean, look, if that happens, that would be fascinating. If if the Masters has a golf ball, that would be super, super cool. And like that that would be one of those that you start pulling on the thread and now it's, you know, we get a real conversation. If that happens, I want to come back on the show. I want to be a long-time <laughs> listener, right, four-time caller. Four call. Anytime, Doc. We, yeah. you, can, you can pop on this link anytime. Yeah, Professor, do you have any thoughts to the my? Yeah, I think logistically to to what Doc brought up, like logistically, it's going to be really interesting just how they make that happen and what the implications are there. Like, I do believe like having different models based on your swing profile is important. Like, I'm not sure I'm all in on just one single ball for because like I think that's going to be biased towards somebody, but like two or three balls that hit the spectrum of swing speeds and attack angles. So it's assume that's what occurs and they, they're going to handle the range and they'll, they'll figure all that. I'm pumped. Sign me up. Like, be sweet. Bring a spinnier ball on, a, and if they can start bringing back the architecture of that course with some course changes, like to to your point that I really appreciated, Matt, on like the small gestures or whatever actions like do have implications. Like the style of golf we could start seeing on that golf course with a spinnier ball that's moving sideways. Players have to think a little bit more off the tee. Thirteen, all of a sudden. Four woods come back into play because got to get the ball up because we're coming in from 225 yeah. and I need to be able to put a spin on the ball to get it up in the air and hold that green on, or in 15. Like Augusta has impacts what happens in United States golf. There's no doubt about that. The whole green movement, like green as in green grass, that traces to Augusta and people can't argue about that. Historians have looked at that and like, so they can have an impact on the type of golf people are familiar with, right? The type of golf they see and say like, Oh, because this whole narrative of like, oh, now I can't hit the shot that pros hit. Well, if we can see the pros spinning the ball more and the ball moving around and all that, people are going to want to do that. They want to. They're going to want to see the ball curve, right? Like, think of Bubba. The number of people that went out and tried to like hook a wedge fifty yards after he did that. So if now all of a sudden we have a ball profile that causes that to happen more and players hit that, that's what play people are going to want to do. That's what the recreational golfer is going to want to do. So if Augusta can lead that charge because they're the one of the few organizations that can. Them and the RNA, I don't know if the USGA necessarily can, but them, the RNA, certainly with the Open, could do the exact same thing tomorrow, right? They could just come out and say, this is what we're doing. And every player would be like, all right, that's what I'm doing, right? They wouldn't squawk about that. I bet they won't squawk about Augusta doing it. They won't squawk about the Open doing it. They'll just man up and like play golf. That's my that's my that's my real hope is that if my my tip here is actually breaking news. I really hope that Ridley's like, yep, and there will be a bucket on the first tee on Thursday. Grab grab as many as you need. Go get them. I mean, it's not going to be that, I'm sure. It'll be 2026 or beyond is my guess. But gentlemen, thank you. We're at the hour. Uh, we didn't even talk about golf blueprint implications, but that's, <laughs> in my mind, another, golf blueprint. Uh, another <laughs> another that's a conversation for another day. Matt, I have, Doc- a funny, I have a funny anecdote for you. So my girlfriend, uh, shout out to, to future Dr. Witt, she's learning golf and she was absolutely puzzled that you have to bring your own golf ball to tournaments and couldn't believe that there isn't just a bucket on the first tee that everyone grabs from. Like when you think about those things at like a macro level, like she played college tennis. 
There's no, there's no, you don't bring your oh own tennis gosh, ball. Oh my gosh, that just blew like, my mind. You're right. Think about that. You don't, you don't bring your own tennis balls to a tennis tournament. That's wild. Oh, and I didn't bring my own baseballs. Different, different balls yeah. for different services in tennis. Yes. Like this isn't a foreign yeah. thing to just say, oh, here's yes. your ball that you're playing with today. Like figure it out during the round. Like yeah. that, I would be all for that too. Like every <laughs> yeah. tournament just being like, here's the ball. Hey, here it is. Adjust so it's, it's flight profile da- during the round. <laughs> Doc, we're going to put you on the, the, on the hot seat. Will Dr. Doris be at the spring meeting come April with Golf Blueprint, Sweetens Cove? Are you making it or not? Okay, so I'm supposed to be on a, on a Fijian surf trip. Uh, we are <laughs> still up. Yeah, yeah. This is this is this is my first vacation in quite some time. I so want your life. We're still yeah. up in the air. Uh, I will let you boys know soon, but I sure hope to make it. He's yeah. going to well, be surfing. Yeah, I'm looking at him. Gonna, look gonna, how happy he gets. That'll be our surfing. breaking news. That'll be our breaking news next week. Is Doctor Doris would be there and watch him, watch him hit trillion yard drives with the new Bazooka XXX ball. I'm bringing the Hammer X, baby. Yes, yes. All right, gentlemen, everyone, enjoy the Masters. Have a great week. Peace. We'll see you next time.